We're going to study the book of Jude in these two Sundays that I have with you. Uh, Jude is the next to the last book in the New Testament. So if you would open your Bibles to the book of Jude. Jude identifies himself in the book as the brother of James. The James to whom he is referring was not James, the brother of John, one of the apostles. The James to whom Jude is referring is the author of the book of James, who became, as we see in the book of Acts, uh, a leader in the early church. Uh, James, we know, was a brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, physical brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore we do believe and understand that this Jude who was writing uh, this letter to us is also a physical brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a leader in the early church, he was in the process of writing a letter, as we understand it, to just encourage the church in terms of the things of the faith. But then the Lord laid something heavily upon him. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. In the book of Nehemiah, when Ezra opened the scripture, the people stood for the reading of the word out of respect of the author of the word. So I would ask you to stand for the reading of God's word this morning, please. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once of all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. In many ways, the, the, the book of Jude, or the, the specific letter that uh, Jude wrote here in the first century, could very easily have been addressed to every presbytery in the PCA, every church in the PCA, every Bible-believing church worldwide. Because the same challenge that Jude lays before these people is laid before us today, and that is we see all around us that God's truth is being perverted, it's being distorted. That Jesus Christ is being denied. And the church of Jesus Christ drifting into the proverbial death pit of liberalism, whatever title you want to call it, where they turn away from the scripture. They turn away from Jesus Christ. So as we look at this text, please understand 
Yes, Jude was talking to these believers in the first century, but he is also talking to us today. He is exhorting us because certain people have crept in unnoticed. Now, the significance of crept in uh, gives you the impression that, that you know, they, they, they worked their way into the church, uh, into leadership positions, maybe even teaching positions, and then began... Uh, to, 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 to teach that which was, which was wrong, that which was, was not true. Uh, it doesn't give you the impression that they came in and said, I don't believe in the word of God as, as the word, that, I, I don't believe the word of God is that which he has given to us, and I'm going to preach on something else. This is totally insignificant in our lives. No, that never happens. They creep in, PCA didn't come into existence because one day the PCUS said, we're liberal. No, there is a drift over time which is dangerous and deadly. The church of Jesus Christ is being destroyed piece by piece. As Jude sees this in the first century, he calls the people to contend for the faith. Now the word contend, and this is where we want to focus our time so we understand what he is talking about. The word contend, the, the, word contend, the, the Greek word itself is the word from which we get the English word agony or agonize. And it's the picture of athletic contests in which an athlete exhausts himself, agonizes in order to accomplish what is his purpose. In other words, he gives his all. He lays it all out there. Supreme effort. Or the picture of a soldier who has been entrusted with the sacred task of guarding a holy treasure. As I think about that picture of the soldier, I'm reminded of the Charge of the Light Brigade poem written by Alfred Lloyd Tennyson in reference to the light cavalry unit that was given a completely ridiculous command to attack a heavily defensed Russian position in the Crimean War and they made that charge. And Tennyson as he writes in honor of this military commitment there's a line in there that goes something like, ours is not to reason why, ours is but to do or die. You see, that's what's wrapped up in this word content. Uh, as it's used in the New Testament, Romans 15, as Paul's talking about prayer, he says, strive together in prayer. That's this word. Okay. So, uh, obviously, and, and this is something that, that, that uh, struck me, as, uh, and I appreciated uh, the, the choir's uh, uh, singing of Sweet Hour of Prayer. Uh, we don't strive in prayer. It's something we take very casually. You know, kind of a hit or miss type of a thing. But Paul uses this word strive. Paul uses it again in 1 Timothy 6 where he talks about fight, the good fight of faith. 2 Timothy 4, which is the last letter that he wrote, he talks about, I have fought the good fight. Again, using this term, which means to contend in such a way that you exhaust yourself. 
uh, Philippians chapter 1, again, strive, strive side by side for the faith, Paul says. Uh, and in Luke 13, verse 24, Jesus talks about strive to enter through the narrow door. Each time you see this word which talks about the intensity and the commitment to be involved in sacrificing yourself, doing the very best you possibly can as you seek to fulfill that which was given to you. Use in military sense, again, to war against error in any form, to fight strenuously for the truth. So what Jude is doing here is he's calling believers, he's calling the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to stand up and exhaust yourself, contend for the faith. Now, again, as, as we think about the, 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 the particular Greek usage that's here, number one, it's an active verb. That means it's something that we are called to do. Not passive, okay? It's not something being done to us. It's active. We are to be about this business. It's also a present form of the verb, which means it's ongoing. In the Greek, you have uh, four different tenses, four or five different tenses, all that have, have significance to them. And present tense is it's ongoing. Okay? There's not a point that we end this contending until the day that the Lord calls us home. So as long as we're here on this earth, we're involved in this. And the, and the essence of the conflict is very real. It's kingdom of darkness versus the kingdom of light. And the kingdom of darkness is trying to, 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 to overthrow the kingdom of light. And they do it by these people creeping in within the church and undermining the truth, the glorious truth that is ours. Also, it's imperative. What's the significance of imperative? It's a command. What Jude is saying here is not a request, oh, will you please stand up for the truth? No, it's contend for the truth. This is what we are called to do. And again, in a culture, obviously, from what we've seen around us, a culture that needs to hear the truth. A culture that needs to understand that Scripture is the Word of God, the only rule of faith and practice. And to return to those Scriptures. So we must contend for that. So that's, that's the call. Now the idea of, of faith delivered, Jude wrote in the first century, by the time we understand the book of Jude was written, uh, the, the scriptures were the Old Testament and the growing New Testament, uh, the apostles' teaching. So uh, the truth of the scripture was, was known. Probably the best guide for us would be the use of the Apostles' Creed. Now, that wasn't actually written by the Apostles, but it was written in the early history of the Church of Jesus Christ, in that New Testament church. And it was used by the early church, as we understand it historically, in order to remind the believers 
of where they stood, what they were to believe. The Apostles' Creed is oftentimes used within church worship, again, to remind Christians of what we believe. And, and that type of practice, I think, is extremely important, folks, because if you aren't reminded of what you believe, what happens? You forget it. That's the nature of man. And so the beauty of repetition over and over and over again. And, you know, don't, don't give me this argument, oh, then it becomes mundane and meaningless. No. In the heart of the believer should rejoice as we're reminded of these things. First thing you notice with the Apostles' Creed, it takes a Trinitarian form. We worship one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Section 1, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth right away. He's the creator God. He's the one who made all things. It didn't come into existence by accident. A freak of the flow of nature. No. God made it in six 24-hour time frames and he rested on the seventh day. He's the creator. He's also the redeemer. For the second paragraph is, and, and you, you would add, I believe, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. Now, as we think in terms of this, this confession was written in the first century, so sometimes the terms are different from what we would, we would use. What we're talking about here is literally the fact that Christ was dead. He went to the place of the dead. And the third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Oh, that's interesting because now there's an accountability for our choices. This Jesus Christ who took upon himself our sin and died for our sin was raised on that third day. Why do we worship on Sunday? Now, Jewish calendar is not Friday, Saturday, Sunday, like ours is. He was crucified on what day? Friday. Oh, and the crucifixion, the horrible pain that he went through on our behalf. He was dead. He was placed in the tomb. First day. Second day, Saturday. Third day, those ladies went to that tomb, folks. And what did they find? What did they find? It was empty. Christ was raised from the grave. And he appears to the disciples later. But who's not there? And, 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 and let's be careful and not throw disdain upon doubting Thomas. Because we would have done the same thing, guys. 
Ah, I'm not going to believe it. You guys are so emotionally wrapped up into this. You, you know, it wasn't really here. Just a, a figment of your imagination. You say, I'm not going to believe until I see him, until I touch him. Well, next time Jesus appears, he focuses on Thomas. He says, Thomas, touch my hands. Now, you know, when you think about the crucifixion, wrist was part of the Greek word for hand. Okay? The nail was driven right through here so that it would, uh, without piercing any of the, the blood vessels, because the Romans didn't want people to bleed out. That took all the fun out of watching people suffer, you see. And it's not, it wasn't driven here because there's not a, a bone structure that can support body weight. So it was driven through here. And so when Jesus says, Thomas, touch my hands, you see, he's touching him here, and he's touching him in his side. And folks, what's his response? My Lord and my God. Jesus Christ was raised from the grave. Third person of the Trinity. I believe in the Holy Ghost. The Holy Catholic Church. Please understand that does not mean the Roman Catholic Church. The word Catholic means universal. When uh, the Apostles' Creed was written, there was not a Methodist church, a Presbyterian church, a Baptist church, so forth and so on. It was a universal church worldwide. The communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And oh, what a blessing is in store for us when the Lord calls us home. The Apostles' Creed, basically a thumbnail sketch of the faith that Jude is talking about having been delivered to the saints. Again, we don't use instruments like that. We forget. And that, that's the nature of man. You know, that, that, that's, that's why we need Jesus, guys. Now, as we think about that, in terms of the context of contending, I'm going to contend for this, for, for this faith. I'm going to stand up for it. I'm going to literally commit my life to defending the truth of what is described in the Apostles' Creed, which is described in Scripture. So standing up for truth is what Jude calls us to do. Now remember, it's active. It's an active verb. It's a present tense verb. And, don't forget, it's imperative, which means what? Jude isn't saying, oh, please, guys, please do this. Oh, by the way, I'd really appreciate it if you would contend for the faith. No. Contend is an imperative verb. That means it's a command. Remember those British soldiers in that Crimean War. How do we contend? Five things I want to leave with you. I'll be back next Sunday. I'm not going to give you a pop test, but I would encourage you to remember these things. Number one, contending for the faith, standing up for the truth, is the responsibility of every believer. Not just folks that go to seminary. Not just folks that are quote-unquote called into full-time Christian service, which, guys, is terrible terminology. As soon as you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are called into full-time Christian ministry. 
Because you serve the Lord in the workplace, you serve the Lord in your recreation, you serve the Lord wherever He has you. Now, praise God for those who are called to those special callings of, of, of ministry, of preaching, missionary, and things of that nature. But that doesn't make them a better Christian. See, here again, how easily we fall into the Roman Catholic mentality of, oh, here's the priest. Ah, we're all believers, and we're all called into full-time Christian ministry. Therefore, we must know and understand what we believe. Know and understand it. Everybody. Let me share something with you. When you see a denomination slip away from the faith, who led that? It's usually the preachers. And then, and I heard this oftentimes when the PCA was beginning, you know, and oh, we, 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 we had these seminaries. And that's why RTS came into existence, by the way. All the seminaries were liberal. Okay? You sent us these liberal ministers, and they came in here, and they influenced things. Okay, cool. Who called those ministers? Who sat in the pew and didn't stand up against the false teaching that was taking place? Remember, contend is the responsibility of everybody who loves Jesus. In many ways, guys, the pew holds the pulpit accountable. If the word's not being taught, then the person preaching needs to be confronted with that. One of my favorite stories. How many of you heard of Abraham Kuyper? Anybody else? One of the great Christian reform pastors. One of the best books ever written on Calvinism, lectures on Calvinism, written by Abraham Kuyper. When he came out of seminary, he was liberal. He went to Free University in Amsterdam. Liberal. Went out to pastor, small country church there in the Netherlands. And being a good pastor, he was visiting all the people in his congregation. He came to the house of a retired maid. How much education does it take to be a maid? Do, 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 do they have a doctorate in maidology? How much education does it take to be a maid? And by the way, this was an old lady. Well, when Dr. Kuiper came in, you know, and as the story goes, that uh, you know, she sat him down at the table and, and, and she pulled out the Bible and she confronted him. You're not teaching the Christ of the Scriptures. The Lord used that little old retired maid to bring Abraham Kuyper to himself. 
And he may have been a man who through folks that he taught and things that he wrote and this kind of thing, he may have impacted thousands, maybe even millions. But this little old lady knew the Bible. And God used her in a mighty way. Secondly, we need to learn to think discerningly. Don't just read something and buy into it without thinking through it. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5, please. Paul is writing in Hebrews 5 to uh, folks that are, seem to be uh, slipping away from what they believed, and so he's, he's encouraging them to come back, demonstrating to them the greatness of Christ. Don't go back into this Old Testament stuff. It was all fulfilled in the person of Christ. And he comes to a point where he wants to talk to them about Melchizedek. Now that's an interesting issue in itself to begin with. We don't have time to address that today. But uh, uh, he says, I want to talk to you about Melchizedek. Beginning the reading in verse 11 of, cha of chapter 5. About this we have much to say. That's Melchizedek. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you Again, the basic principles of the, of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their senses or have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. What Paul's talking about here to these Christians, we don't know exactly where they were, we assume in Rome, but uh, they had, a, they had a, a background in Judaism, had come to Christ and were kind of slipping back. And Paul challenges them, you know, you, you ought to be uh, so solid in your faith, you see, but you're dull of hearing. And within this context, he talks about the powers of discernment. Okay, the discernment is the ability to use God's word to examine the different ideas, mindsets, worldviews, those kind of things that are coming across our radar screens. And it's happening all the time. We did a play at PCS called The Little Mermaid. Oh, it's a great Disney story. Yeah, but what is the, is it, you wouldn't say heroine, would it? The female hero, what does she do? She's not happy with being a mermaid. She wants to be, you guys haven't seen it. She wants to be a person. And she's disrespectful to her father. Boy, does that sound like children nowadays? Okay. You have an innocent little play based on an innocent little Disney movie, movie which made big bucks. And yet the essence of the story is very much unbiblical. Okay. 
These are things we need to think through. These are things that we, we need to use our minds. You know, and by the way, God didn't give us these minds just to keep our ears from floating together. He gave them to us to use. And, and Christianity is a very thinking man's religion. That's the beauty of our worldview. It's based upon Scripture, which is God's Word, the only rule of faith and practice. And as we live it out, I like to challenge my students when they come in in the morning. This is a great question for the morning. Are you epistemologically self-conscious today? Yeah. I am. I belong to Jesus. And I'm thinking how I live that out. That's what it means to be epistemologically self-conscious. Don't just accept things that come. Analyze. Think. Number three. The older and more mature members of the fellowship need to be examples of contending for the faith. They need to be mentors for the younger. Titus talks about that. The older men teaching the younger men. Older women teaching the younger women. The wealth of Christian life experience that is in this building? Is it being used to impact the younger people, the young adults? They don't have to be members of this congregation. You got tons of them out there. Are we taking them alongside and, and mentoring them? Are we discipling them? Are you investing in your future? Or are you, just wait, are you just waiting for the Lord to zap you out of here? Well, we do wait excitedly for when the Lord's going to zap us out of here. But until He does, what are we supposed to be doing? Don't fall into the trap of thinking, well, I'm, I'm old. You know, I, 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 there's nothing else I can do. Shoot. Mentor. Disciple. Number four, that is everything we do within the church must be done faithfully. Faithful teaching in the church, whether it's worship, whether it's Sunday school, whether it's small group, doesn't matter. Whatever the church is putting forth, it must be biblical, must be scriptural, must demonstrate a commitment to truth. Because here again, you're investing Investing in the lives of the young people. Even, you know, this is something that's, that's really kind of tragic too. Uh, oftentimes, we, we, we don't think that, uh, these are kindergarten kids. We don't have to worry about what they're being taught theologically. Eh, we don't need to give them the catechism. They're too young. They can't understand. So you put garbage in their minds. You know, and, and listen, don't just because it says Sunday school curriculum, that doesn't mean it's biblical, guys. And, and, and we, we need to be responsible for every individual in the church, no matter how young, no matter how old, in terms of faithful teaching. And number five, unless you feel left out, we're all in this together. There's not a single person in this church building that can say, I've got nothing to contribute. 
I, I, nothing I can do to contend for the faith. I don't care how old you are, how young you are. I don't care if you think you're sick, feeble, whatever. No. All of us are involved with this. Remember, Jude did not say, as he talked about contend, no, that's only for the ordained guys. No, you don't, no, you know, you don't have to worry about that. No, all believers, if there's a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, then that means I'm a part of this army that has been called to do this. And that as I seek to fulfill that call to contend, then I want to do it to the very best of my ability. And part of that is, and this is what's neat about what are known as reciprocal verbs. I did some stuff with reciprocal verbs in Sunday school way back when. But, uh, you know, we encourage one another. We build up one another. We hold each other accountable. We admonish one another. We're an army. An army is made up of individual soldiers who are committed to the same task. It's not dependent on one or two particular outstanding soldiers. No Sylvester Stallones or Arnold Schwarzeneggers in this army unless they become Christians. But an army functions together. Each soldier doing his task. Each soldier contending strenuously that the goal of that military unit would succeed. This is an athletic term, remember? I realize all the quarterbacks in football get the headlines, you know. I realize that. They're the ones who throw the passes, that kind of stuff. But you know what? They couldn't throw a single pass if these five guys in front of them didn't keep these 280, 300 behemoths off of them. And oh, by the way, how many great passes would be caught if you didn't have guys that had the guts to look at nothing but the ball, even though you might have a uh, a cornerback about to nail you. Ball's got to be caught, right? And, and oh, by the way, the 11 guys on the other side have to stop the team so the quarterback can get the ball to do what he needs to do. So it's a team effort. And that's what the church of Jesus Christ is, guys. God has brought us together for a purpose. And within this room you have gifts, talents, and abilities that he will use to glorify himself and to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. We are to be busy about what he calls us to do. No questions asked. Remember, ours is not to reason why. Ours is but to do or die. We are called to contend for the faith, once for all delivered to the saints. May we be faithful. Let's pray. Father, we do marvel at the fact that for whatever reason you made us yours and you've given us those gifts, talents, and abilities to, to be used, dear Father.
to bring glory to your name, to extend the kingdom of light, to exalt the name of Jesus. Strengthen us to that end, that in all things, Jesus Christ would be exalted. For it's in his wonderful name we pray. Amen.